Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. Roan, I got to tell you, I'm not really looking forward to this episode. Yeah, it could maybe hit close to home. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm already feeling super sensitive about this discussion. What does that say about well, you're, me? You're always super sensitive. You're <laughs> such a sensitive guy. I'm just nice and sensitive, and uh, that's the old me, well, man. You're, you're a recovering pastor. Yeah, man. don't shame me with all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I I think I admitted a couple episodes ago. I I just looked at my wife a couple of days ago and said, you know, I'm not a nice person. I'm just not. I'm going to stop trying to be. That's called freedom. <laughs> yeah. That's called freedom. I really am more comfortable with the word curmudgeon than I ever have been in my life. Yeah, Walter, <laughs> get off my grass. <laughs> you should see the looks that my teenage sons give me. They're like, oh, of all of all the houses for us to be born into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah just, well, the, at least they don't call you boomer like mine do. Yeah. Sometimes such they a do. Boomer. Yeah, sometimes yeah. they do. You know, my son looked at the TV last night and said, oh, come on. How hard is it to set up a streaming service? man we have we have come a long way you know i mean the original pac-man game i had didn't even have a screen it was like you remember the video games was just dots moving around pac-man uh we had atari we had pong (laughs) that was big time pong (laughs) yeah that was it It, that was Uh, the first uh, man well that was incredible a lot of advancements so but i will admit (laughs) readily before we enter into this conversation i am a fish out of water i'm very early on in this process, which feels a little embarrassing to say because I've been doing a lot of intentional work for a lot of years. But this, you know, the the tentacles of this idea run so deep. I feel like, you know, it's, it's like when you're trying to dig up the bush in your lawn, how deep is the root structure on this thing that the more I dig, the deeper it goes. And I've experienced a little bit of freedom. It's why I wanted to have this conversation very publicly uh, here today because I know there's a lot of people that are frustrated over this issue and they don't they don't exactly know where mm. to go once it's uncovered and man is it is it messy is it chaotic and it certainly certainly impacts sex and I would even say over my story God was probably the biggest piece in this uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. the way that God was sold to me so we are set to have a very exciting conversation today. <laughs> it's going to be good. Maybe a lot more you than it is me, and probably people will think, well, this is nice. We've dropped in on Ben's therapy session. That's okay. That's if all it, right. If it helps somebody, this is where it, we're going. We'll violate HIPAA. It's okay. Exactly. I'm, yep. Obviously, I'm fine with that. You so signed the release. We are attacking the idea of codependence. Oh, man. What a psychobabble buzzword. Yeah, right? it chills down the spine. Uh, uh, yikes. I, I don't want to be codependent. You're codependent. We're all codependent. We're all codependent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, How do we even start this conversation? I'll let you go. Well, I, as a recovering codependent... Um, oh, you too? I, I, oh, dude. Look, I'm just, we, we I'm have just our own a, Me Too sitting right here. I'm just a little further down the road than you are, but <laughs> I, I used to think, you know, when I got into recovery and, you know, I was the addict, you know, I'm a man. And, and uh, my wife is codependent, right? That women are codependent, not men. And it, I mean, literally, that was uh, that was a thought, um, <laughs> which tells you a lot about where I was, where you were, yes. Yeah, um, but 
what I've realized over the years is, oh my gosh, I was a lot more codependent than she was or is. I don't even know if she ever was, really. Um, she was in some ways, but mm. uh, as far as uh, just kind of the relational codependent thing, um, she definitely was. In, but I was much more so trying to, you know, uh, please and appease, manipulate, control uh, her thoughts, her reactions, um, in in trying to make sure you know, peace was maintained at some level. And that included lying, uh, that included manipulating, that included a lot of things. But, you know, there was a uh, there's a pure motive in that. I just wanted, I wanted everything to be okay. It mm. sounds so chivalrous, right? Yes, it does, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt. So we're wanting to kind of maintain status quo. We don't want to disrupt things. We don't want to cause trouble. And you mentioned a key word there, and I think it was on purpose, control. Is that a big part of this? There it is. Um, You know, there's a lot of definitions for codependency. Um, And, you know, our listeners, they may hear that word, and it may be like uh, the word gaslighting. Mm. uh, Trauma, triggered. Yeah, triggered. uh, All those words that we hear, you just, you feel a little nauseous. it may be one of those words. However, uh, there is something to it uh, for sure. But really, you know, codependency, I believe, is just this idea of, of a compulsion uh, to control or manage another person in order to get uh, your, your uh, emotional needs met uh, or your emotional uh, desires for sure. Uh, but and we think that if we can manage them, uh, we're going to be okay. So it's like I'm okay, you're not okay. But if if I control you and get you to respond the way that I need you to, I'll be okay. So it really you know, it 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 is an addiction because it's a compulsion to control. There's no doubt. It, there's an addictive component to it. Um, when we first got into recovery, you know, now uh, partners, uh, the the spouses of betrayal, uh, are called partners. But when we first got into recovery, um, it was that you know uh, I was the addict and Eva was the co-addict. Can't remember which one was first. I think I think they were co-addicts first, and then uh, the partners became codependents. Uh, the, you still had the addict and the codependent. Mm. Um, and when you start looking at what happens with betrayal trauma in particular, there's a control factor that occurs of like the, the spouse is trying to manage the other person's recovery. Uh, they're trying to control uh, the behaviors. There, there's a lot that goes into somehow if I can be sure that you're okay, then I'm okay. And at the root of it, uh, it's, you know, it's safety and security. But I'm, I'm, it's manifesting as a compulsive, controlling behavior so that I will feel okay. And, you know, it, at the uh, bottom line, it's when my needs for safety and security, emotional safety and security are not met, we have a real tendency to all be codependent. When this couple walks into my practice, they both look absolutely exhausted, right? Always. Because the 
the one on the other side is thinking, okay, I've got to make sure that everything goes exactly this way. And if it doesn't go exactly that way, I've got to hide it. I've got to keep it secret, right? Or it'll disrupt the peace. And then on the other side, the other person is thinking, what are they not telling me? I've got to make sure that this goes this way. Here's this podcast. Here's this book. Here's this other person that you need to be in relationship with. And they're, they're both just in this hypervigilant state of just trying to make sure that everything goes exactly the way that it needs to go. And unfortunately, I see long-term, these people end up hating one another because it starts as deep-seated resentment. I resent the fact that I'm having to accommodate and adjust and maintain all of these things, a lot of which you don't even know about. And then the other person is thinking, why won't you just do what I'm telling you to do? Because if you do what I'm telling you to do, then everything will be just fine. And it is very difficult to convince each person this, this is really unwise. And I usually start in this, I, I, I lose a lot of female <laughs> clients this way. The couples counseling doesn't go for very long because I look at the man and I say, okay, this is great that you've put protection on your devices and that, that's a great step. It's just a, a point of friction or resistance to pursue that. Is your wife the first person that, that's notified when you view pornography? <laughs> Absolutely, man. She needs to be the first person to know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. A hundred percent. Like change that right now. Yeah. Get whatever the software is, change that. And then that lights off all the codependents in the room. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Because I don't have the control that I need in order to feel safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's an exhausting false form of control. Oh, man. It, never, it is. It never uh, works. It, it basically, you know, um, when when betrayal uh, gets discovered in whatever form, it it in some ways it's like the. And I'm just going to use the addict like me. Uh, man, you know, when this stuff comes to light, it's like I experienced a tremendous amount of freedom, just because now the secrets out in the room. And the thing of it is, you know, on my side of the fence, I was hiding all that. It was all hidden. Uh, she did not know uh, of, of my addiction and acting out behaviors, which is problematic because what that speaks to is Eva didn't know uh, where the show up place was in the relationship either. Because mm-hmm. if you're in a relationship with somebody that's over in the bushes acting out and you are at the show up place, you would know it. Right, and so what that speaks to another episode uh, we talked about, and we talk about a lot, the intimacy disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you were attuned and attached and connected, uh, you would know that your partner's not present. So again, even that is a problem, and uh, because you didn't know it, uh, well, she didn't, and so. But on my side of the fence, I had been fighting this thing for many years. I came to Jesus at 20 and was like, okay, I got to, you know, quit looking at porn. And, but, you know, I couldn't because it was a full-blown sexual addiction. And, uh, and then at 27, when that came to light and I admitted that, and, and I'd been in this huge battle and struggle of trying to stop fighting it, unbeknownst to her, well, now it's like, you know, it comes into the light, and wow, it felt so freeing. Well, the problem is I put the monkey on her back because this thing that she did not know about, and now she's in a fight, in her own fight. And in in that fight, most of the time, partners will resort to this codependent behavior of compulsively controlling the other, trying to get needs met. 
and the prevention of being injured again. Oh, I, totally. I don't want to be hurt again. Ever, right. Ever. So if I, can, if I can do this, yeah, I don't want to be hurt again. Yeah. Part of this conversation that intrigues me so much because it's been part of my personal journey is this goes way, mm. way back. This didn't start when you said I do. <laughs> there, no. there were most likely a lot of things going on in your family of origin and in the, in the home that you grew up in that really set the conditions for you to be a certain percentage of codependent in your key relationships. Is that a, a good way to say that? Oh, absolutely. It's like, man, we, we got on the marriage train and that stuff was packed in our baggage, in our luggage, right? We all have it. And I always say it, it's in that compartment, you know, that zipper compartment up underneath. Uh, it's it's there. And then it begins to surface. But yeah, it it the origins of it are always in what we grew up in, what we saw modeled. Uh, yeah, and then, man, you throw, you know, some good old uh, terrible uh, Christian teaching and preaching on top of that. Um, it's, you know, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. It's like this idea, like you should have no desires. Uh, you should have no wants in a relationship. You should just die to self completely and just be subjugated to the whims and emotions of the other person. <laughs> it's a great setup, right? It but is. that's 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 a good Christian, Ben. I don't know if you know that or not. And so, well, the distinction I can't figure out is: Are we talking about good Christians or just compliant people? Sheeple. What yeah. What are we out for? You know, right. do we want a group of compliant people that will go along with agendas that will give hard-earned money to those agendas, even if they're completely crazy. That will, that will serve in the parking lot ministry. <laughs> that's right. It's the most important important job in the church. Yeah, the amount of money that's just How did you spent sell that when you were a pastor? Winging at it. We did, didn't did have... You, did you actually sit with a guy and say, dude, this is the most important job in the whole church? Well, I, I was a little bit more intelligent than that, but <laughs> yes, yes. So I did have that conversation. You know, from the time that they get out of the car to the time they get uh, back in the you're car. You're the first impression. You're the first impression. <laughs> so we're going to put you out here in an M-dot vest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always say, I wish the guy had looked at you and said, well, dude, if it's so that damn important, why don't you go do it exactly. and I'll preach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could probably do a better job than you anyway, <laughs> right? right? Which some weeks they could have. Let's be honest about this. But yeah, the way that we, all of our, um, I would say, all of our social constructs inside of Christianity depend on codependent, compliant men, which is a big mm. part of the problem. Mm. And every mm. man in these scenarios can smell that from a mile away. <laughs> That's why they walk in. They're like, you know what? I'm just going to be quiet and have my coffee and scroll through Instagram or or we are you version that is kind of the Bible oh, version yeah, of Instagram. Thank God for Bible apps. <laughs> That's right. It looks like I'm actually, you know, reading my Bible. Yeah, and you have phone. to have that look across your face, which you you know, oh, like just trying to divide, you know, eight hundred and seventy four by nine and that gives you a real pensive look. Um, but yeah, I think that this is a big part of the problem. I've, I've been outed. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's, Eva this hates is, it when I'm on my phone. It's our church so strategy. Yeah, yeah. Don't 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 tell our pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I'm, I'm riveted by every word. I'm every every word that's been planned for 15 hours this week, right? Um, part of the issue, though, I think, is as we start to attack codependence, it, it literally is everywhere. It's not just inside of marriage. I mean. Some of the most sinister relationships I've had in my life, I attached as a codependent. They were bosses. Mm -hmm. And that was a really, really bad idea, but I did it. And uh, getting down to, I know we don't promote 
you know, models specifically, but I've gained a lot of freedom over just studying the Enneagram mm -hmm. because of how it talks about uh, relationships, not just personalities and how you like to do tasks. But I started to realize, man, I, I'm a loyalist and a codependent. I am double screwed here. You know, I cannot get out of this construct. But then when I started digging deeper into it, I realized that in, in my home growing up, both great people, I feel like I have to say that all the time, but hmm. love, love them dearly. But they, they had dynamics in their relationship. Uh, my dad's a very quiet man. My mom is not a very <laughs> quiet woman, you know, which I leveraged uh, all the time. But in their relationship, if there was something uh, amiss, then I was the one that moved in to be the communicator, specifically with my mom, because I could see what she was after. And I was willing as the son to move into that place to say, okay, we can talk about this, especially the older that I got. I could really carry on a conversation at a semi-adult level. Well, the problem with that is I, I needed to just let that relationship, that's their marriage, not my marriage. But I moved in to try to smooth that over. And man, have I realized in 20 plus years of marriage, when I'm in my kitchen, I'm operating as if I'm in my parents' kitchen having those conversations. And it's not really doing my marriage any good to move in and be codependent, a codependent excuse me, codependent, compliant, <laughs> placator. Codependent. Co I like Codependent. Yeah, it's like uh, splendor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> codependent. <laughs> it just doesn't do any good, although it feels like it is the right thing to do. There's a lot of things that fall into that category, but this one in particular can be very dangerous because we feel like we're doing the right thing, exercising control, keeping everybody at a comfortable temperature, and getting along just to get along. Well, yeah, and, you know, kind of the flip side from what you grew up in, there was some of that with my mother, um, just, you know, crossing boundaries, telling me too much about, you know, her relationship with Step Fokker. Mm. Uh, Fokker, that's a movie. It that's is. what I said. Yeah. Anyway. I that love was, that term. That was our affectionate name. It's made its way through our community, by <laughs> yeah, the way. It has. Uh, that was our affectionate name for him. <laughs> um, it, so there was definitely boundary crossing and, and some, you know, emotional incest uh, with that. But but mostly what I grew up in was more just um, uh, neglect in, in, in that. And so those basic, you know, needs for, you know, security in a relationship, uh, feeling safe, uh, feeling cared for, all of those things. Mm, I, I didn't get that. Um, like Reese Bobby, Ricky Bobby's dad. You know, mm. the, I, didn't, I didn't get that. <laughs> and, um, and so what that set me up for, and it, it, it's just, you know, this stuff plays out. And, you know, you can grow up in very different situations. But for me, it set me up to get in a relationship with somebody that says that they love me and they care for me. And then we stand up before God and, you know, 200 people and uh, make our vows and our commitments. And so now this person is the designated one to meet all of those emotional needs. And, and so I'm, I worked very hard trying to be to look good, to be good, to let her know, let her think, uh, lead her to believe that I was good. And so I could, you know, in my head, I could do no wrong. And, you know, when she would have a complaint, 
Well, you know, what you do with that is you get very defensive, right? Mm Because I'm defending this part of me that was neglected. And if somehow I have a flaw, then she's not going to be there. And there's the abandonment stuff that was there for me, just emotional abandonment. And so I worked really hard in trying to please and appease and control her, manipulate her by, you know, doing it all right, Um, but nobody can do it all right. And again, uh, in every relationship, there's going to be complaints. But my perception of the complaint was a criticism because I was so insecure. Um, it it was it was in my filter. It was it was a criticism of who I am. And you know you've got to defend that. And so anger and defensiveness and but that's all control. And that's that compulsion, compulsion to manage it and control it. So codependency and insecurity often go together? A hundred percent. So now yeah. you're calling me insecure. You are. Yeah. I am. Just, yeah, for the record. I actually On the am. record. <laughs> I actually am. You're, you're getting better though, dude. I'm getting getting give, better. Give you some affirmation. You'll this be gets okay. to the root of it though, in that, so I have to admit, remind me to get back to the word game in just a second, but I have to admit that I'm codependent and insecure. That's a pretty heavy lift for anyone. Oh, yeah. But it is usually one of the first stops on the way to health. Uh, you, it, that, it's awareness, right? I've, I've got to become aware of this stuff if I'm going to ever change it. And certainly just becoming aware of it doesn't change it. You know, well, how do you change it? Well, I've got to begin to practice, right? Uh, like Alan Iverson, practice. <laughs> Young, it's, I'm that, impressed you know that That's name. pretty relevant. That is very he, relevant. I mean, he's retired, but still, it was a deal, right? <laughs> I feel, I feel, I feel so young. Good. Yeah, um, but but I've got to begin to practice. Well, how do I practice? Um, because chances are, I'm in a relationship with somebody that has never faced their own. They're unaware of it, and they're just doing what they um, know to do. Well, I've got to begin to get in relationship with others that understand this stuff that are further down the road that can help me begin to see it and and to be able to talk about it. And it takes a lot of practice mm. to be able to change it because now we're getting into the bone and marrow of our DNA because this is typically it's generational. It just it didn't start with just our parents. Uh, it was in it was in the blood of the grandparents and the great grandparents. Yeah, uh, I think there's something that says the you know the sins, the dysfunction of the fathers and the mothers will be passed on forever. Right? It's the dysfunction. Yeah, and that's what we have in our DNA. And it's like we are four dimensional creatures. Um, I mean, a lot of times, uh, you, you know, we can draw the three circles on the board mind, body, and spirit. Uh, I think that's just Greek philosophy and not theology. Mm. Uh, but, but in essence, as humans, we're four dimensional creatures. Um, there's the physical dimension of who we are right now in the present moment in our physical bodies and what's going on around me. And most people live only in that physical dimension. Uh, and that's why we will become pleasure-seeking creatures because it, I just physically, I need relief. I need comfort. I, I need happiness because mm. I live in America. Mm. And, and that's where we live, and we're very unaware of the other dimensions. 
And kind of the second dimension, part of who we are, is kind of that we're moving into the psychological, which is mind and emotions. That's a both and. Uh, psychology is literally means study of the soul and the construct of the soul. It, it is it is the mind. It is the body. It's it's a it's a whole construct of of kind of what makes us who we are, and that psychological part is you know the mind and emotions. Well, most people are unaware of even, you know, what's going on inside of me emotionally. Uh, we, we'll get reactive to things that are happening in the physical presence in that dimension. And then I'm acting out in some way, defensiveness, anger, withdrawing, all the stuff that we do that's unhealthy. Um, and then in the mind, you know, so much of this recovery journey, so much of our life journey is really beginning to examine how we think because our emotions emanate from our thoughts. So as a man thinketh, uh, he is, right? And it's the emotional side uh, and the mind and the way we think. So many of our thoughts are automatic and we don't examine those. But part of our journey is to become aware of how I'm thinking because my thinking will lead me into a victim mindset very quickly. Mm. Uh, and, and language uh, frames our reality. So often, you know, people you know, sitting in my office, you know, well, he always does this. And I'm like, oh, no, hang on. He, he doesn't always do that. <laughs> but and again, when you start, like, really examining the thoughts um, of how we automatically think these things, Boy, it, that that's where we win this battle. Um, that's where everything changes, the mind and emotions. And then that third dimension is certainly the spiritual dimension. And that's certainly the existential, uh, you know, higher power. Uh, we call it God. Mm. Uh, that's just a reality of life. Um, and most people are unaware of even the spiritual dimension uh, and how that plays out in our lives and affects the other parts of life. Uh, a lot of people go to church, but that has nothing to do with the spiritual dimension of how we're made and who we are and what we're designed and created to be connected to a creator. And when we are disconnected from the creator, well, our lives are chaos. And and then the, the, the other dimension is neglected often, and that's our history, right? of who we are, what makes us up, our DNA, the generational dysfunction, the epigenetics that have been passed on generationally, and how this stuff is playing out. So if we're going to begin to really change this stuff, I've got to begin to examine, to become self-aware, self-reflective, and begin to understand these different dimensions of who I am that make me human. Wow, that's uh, well put. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. You said yeah. that very well. I, I'm not sure I even stole that from somebody. I think really? Was I that think original? Just, yeah, just came out. Fact I check. Know. I hope we did get that recorded because I'll forget it. Yes, yeah. it's, it's got me thinking uh, in a lot of different directions, and I'm sure our listeners are in this place as well. But the first place I started was when I walk into a room, especially if it's relationships that my parents have, the, one of the first things I'll hear is, you must be a Derek. They can see, you know, physically they can see. Yep. Um, and there's a little bit of that that makes me proud. Like, yeah, I'm connected. I'm connected to this family. But when my wife says it, <laughs> that's a completely it's a different, different scenario. It's like you must be a proud. Derek. That's yeah. the most Derek thing I've ever heard you say. 
Um, so True. I find it very interesting though, and there's a little bit of Ryan Holiday's spinning mm. around here of the obstacle is the way where we are feeling resistance. That's probably where the work is. Uh, a lot of people want to talk about their physical discomfort, their ailments. We, uh, the Christian circles call that Wednesday night. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's how that goes. They may scratch the surface of that emotional piece because the emotions are just pushing out sideways in their life. But when we talk, start to talk about the spiritual component, there's people get very uncomfortable because of all the judgment that has happened there, the history that they have with that. And certainly, mm-hmm. certainly, when you start to push a person to talk about mom and dad, they roll their eyes and they're like, oh, here we go. I knew this was on its way. You know, I'm surprised you waited this long. That resistance, though, is an indicator. We would say today, it's an indicator of there's a lot of work that needs to occur there because you, you did not just inherit physical characteristics from your family. You've inherited uh, characteristics on how you operate in relationship going way, way back from people that you never even met that have influenced your family. That's a really difficult thing to think about because it requires a lot of work to sit with and be comfortable with the fact that you may be operating from family default and some of this chaos and dysfunction is on you. Amen. Well, and you know, we always say, man, that this work around certainly family systems is is not about blaming, it's just simply about naming, right? I'm not blaming, but I'm naming what occurred, right? The the facts of what I grew up in. Um, and then what was the impact on me relationally and emotionally? And and again, that's moving into the these 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 dimensions that we have to begin to reconcile, we have to begin to unpack in order to change. Uh, otherwise, we're just going to keep operating uh, like we do. We're not going to change anything. You want to know the dumbest thing I've ever done as a dad? <laughs> oh, oh gosh, well, let's, yeah, we could do a whole episode. I've got, uh, yeah, I could top dumb. you. I could top dumb. you. Oh, probably, yeah. probably. Oh, yeah. This one's pretty bad though. Well, well I'll get, we'll get, uh, yeah, Rower Josh to come in and do that episode. They, they would just tell you. Yeah, I'm too terrified to invite my sons into this podcast. <laughs> They're not old enough yet. They, well, yeah, mine are grown. One believes yeah. he is. Yeah. Um, I, I was parenting for a significant portion of my sons' lives. I was parenting, trying to meet my needs, mm. Mm. meaning the needs that I had at their age. And I was moving in. I was doing all the things that my dad didn't do. You know, what did you need that you didn't get? I identified that. And then, in, you know, still stuck in codependence. I didn't go to my dad with those things. That, that would be a terrible idea. I just decided I was going to correct that. So I started parenting from that place, really codependent on my parents, my family of origin. I start pointing that at my sons and I'm parenting in a way with urgency over my own needs. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't even their need. And it really disrupted our relationship because it just didn't make any sense to them. Then I became very resentful, like, you know what? This wasn't done for me and I'm trying to do it for you. You know, and it led to all sorts of family conversations. If I had just stopped to think about, mm-hmm. why am I doing this? Why is this so important to me? then I could have addressed the actual origin of codependence instead of passing it right down the line. Projecting it, yeah, right on down the line. Really looking at my son saying, what what I'd like for you to be is dependent upon me (laughs) to meet this need for you that you don't even have, you know? 
boy, that just that cycle. It, what do you call it? The crazy dance? Oh yeah, it's, yeah. A lot of words we can put around that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, but if if we're being avoidant of moving in and thinking about codependence, it is a guarantee that mm. you're going to pass on a tremendous amount of dysfunction, and not just between husband and wife. No. It's bigger than that. It's it with is. your children. It's with your boss. Mm. It's with your friends. Hundred percent. You don't know who you are, and you can't. You can't uh, boundary as an individual and enter into relationships with healthy agreements. Pretty much guaranteed, it's going to be chaos. Oh yeah, um, and I think you know, like <laughs> you're talking about your sons, and um, certainly, uh, you know, for me with mine, it was. Boy, all the things that I didn't get. Uh, you're growing up, and you know I'm I'm trying to make sure they get it. And and there's a, again a compulsion mm. almost around that, because in my head, you know I've, I've got to impart all this to them, and so that they'll be okay. Well, the reality of it is they were okay, because they had a mom and a dad that actually loved them and cared for them and would actually talk to them about anything. But but that other side of like somehow I've got to every moment is a teaching moment and all those things. That, oh God, I wish I <laughs> wish I could go back and change a lot of that uh, for sure. But I think that's kind of a natural tendency that mm. you know what we did not get uh, we're gonna work uh, yeah too hard overly hard unnecessarily yeah. trying to impart this stuff that they're really okay. I mean, I sit with parents all the time. Um, I had a family session not long ago, and uh, the parents, and there's a lot of conflict in their relationship, uh, but they brought their 18-year-old daughter, and, like, I'm sitting there listening to the 18-year-old like, wow. Mm. I mean, she is she's sharp, and she gets it, and she's going to be okay. But mom and dad are trying to control her based on their past. And there's the rub, and this girl's like, you know, the scholarships and perfect grades. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, she's going to be okay. I think you can back off. Uh, but that's that fear based on what they experienced, and they're just projecting it onto her. This does give me a lot of hope as we talk about the younger generations, me being in my mid-40s. There's, you know, generations after me now that are uh, emerging into adulthood, and I feel very encouraged as I sit with that generation because they don't have as much resistance to growth as True. as the media labels them for sure. Now, there's a lot of crazy going on in our world today, but there is a huge part of that population that understands self-awareness, that understands health, that understands getting outside of their own mind and relationships to get feedback on what's going on in their stories. So yeah. I do find often, I'm like, hey, we're talking a lot about your kids, but they're good. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a lot better than you think. Sometimes, they are. in spite of your efforts, exactly, they, they've oh, done yeah. a good job. No you know? doubt. So we we say here often that, that nature hates a vacuum. So it, we would not want to record an episode just telling people, "Hey, stop it! You <laughs> You're know? codependent. Stop being codependent." <laughs> you know. So the language that you use is replacing codependence with interdependence. Let's talk a little bit about interdependence and, and what that looks like and how freeing that could probably be for someone who suffered under the weight of codependence. Well, I think I'll just start out that, that part of the conversation. You know, uh, I often tell couples there's no such thing as marriage counseling, right? I mean, that how do you counsel a marriage? Uh, you're actually counseling two individuals. Mm. And so I, 
first off, I've got to begin to do my own work individually. And if you've got two people that are, you know, willing to engage in their process and do their own work, well, now you've got a chance uh, because one of the things that, you know, the goal is moving away from trying to control this other person. And the way that they talked to me and what he said and what she said, you know, one of my favorite things in counseling is when the, the husband or the wife, uh, they start uh, impersonating the other that in the argument. You, you've been there, right? <laughs> yes. Well, she said, and he, he does like this, in, like his wife's talk. I'm like, dude, does she really talk to no. you like that? The, no. The male, the male part of that is usually <laughs> terrible, but I'll tell you the wives are she usually spot it. on. Yeah, no doubt, yeah. always. Uh, but it's just comical. But, but what we're trying to do is just control this other person. Now, maybe they're doing something that's harmful or uh, things that they don't that, that are bad for sure. Well, what you've got to do individually is you've got to become well boundaried. And it's like, I love you. I will not tolerate this behavior, right? If mm-hmm. you don't do something about this, I'm done. I mean, that's a boundary. Yeah. But in that, to me, is the whole key of dealing with this codependency. Uh, I've got to see it. I've got to understand it. I've got to see how that plays out. But then my work is becoming well-boundaried. I'm going to rewrite rewrite Henry Cloud's book, uh, Boundaries, um, and I'm going to be Bubba Cloud, his Mississippi cousin, because you know he's from Mississippi. <laughs> this has to be good, yeah. He, yeah, he's from Mississippi. I'm not sure that's a fact he <laughs> yeah. really puts out there. But. No, no, he he talks about it a little bit, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he. And so I'm going to be Bubba Cloud, and my book on boundaries is going to be one page, and it is as simple as this. You know, it's what I will accept and what I will not accept. It's what I will do and what I will not do. And when you start unpacking each one of those things, what you're getting into is your value system. Uh, you're getting into your integrity as a man or a woman. Um, it's like, I will not accept being talked to that way. I will not accept being cussed. I will not accept being shamed. I will not accept being berated. This conversation is over. Mm. When you're ready to talk like a, a regular person, I'm all in. Uh, but when this stuff starts happening, no, I'm not going to subject subject myself to that because I am worthy of love and respect, mm-hmm. right? Because Jesus tells me who I am, and nobody's going to talk to me that way. My wife or you know Joe Blow down the street, not going to happen. It goes both ways, right? It means uh, that you have to participate in that agreement yourself. Yep. Just as a, a mode of accountability here, you can't say, I won't accept that from the other person. <laughs> That's right. And then deliver it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you yeah. have to be able to join with or show up to the show up place, which is a healthy place. Yeah. You have to commit to that. And sometimes that can be very difficult for a lot of us who have been showing up in an unhealthy way for a very long time. Oh, yeah. But I love that idea of saying, and this has infected a lot of my relationships, uh, which has been a really freeing thing for me in the past five years. I'm just not going to join you there. I know you want me to join you there, but I'm not going to join you there. And then what, as a codependent, the thing that I have to say literally out loud is, I don't like the man that I am when I show up that way. Absolutely. There's a lot of regret, a lot of shame, and a lot of damage that occurs. If I join you right there, 
some heads are going to roll. Yeah. Because I'm actually and, better at and, unhealthy and than you are. And what you're doing is you are setting a boundary for you. You're not saying you're not going to do this. Mm-hmm. You're just saying, hey, I know who I am when this happens and I don't like it. I'm not going to participate. Mm-hmm. And you're not blaming. You're saying, no, it's not good for me. And that's okay, right? Yeah. And then when you're ready, like I'm all in. And, you know, the trick is now I can't go pout and sulk because I got called a name. Uh, I can see that for what it is. That's just coming out of her hurt, her pain, mm-hmm. her frustration. And rather than you know, invoking my man's superpower of pouting and sulking over in the corner, I actually am available when she wants to do it different. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome to be able to say to the important relationships in our lives, I won't join you there but I can join you here. Amen. I'm right over here and I'm comfortable there. And I know my left and my rights. I know my boundaries. I know my agreements with myself over here. I'm gonna be a great man to be in relationship with over there as a friend, as a husband, as a father. Uh, I'm not going to be a great man if I join you over here. Oh yeah. And you know, when again, when betrayal has occurred, um, you know, whether it's porn, infidelity, uh, whatever form that has taken, um, there is going to be a lot of pain, right? Mm-hmm. And that's part of the betrayal trauma. And sometimes because, you know, if I've been the actor outer and the betrayer, uh, in some ways I have to sit in in that pain. And sometimes that pain comes in the form of some, you know, nuclear-tipped, you know, flaming arrows, yeah. right? Uh, but I've got to see that for what it is. But so often because, especially early in recovery, I am insecure, all right? That's why I was acting out. That's a lot of the reasons, you know, all the stuff. Uh, I don't have the emotional foundation to be able to sit in that and not get reactive. Um, Mm. But that's where, you know, getting in counseling, uh, getting in a healthy men's group, beginning to have that support system, hearing other guys look at me in the eye, you know, you're a good man, I love you, I'm with you. That's Jesus' skin on. Well, now I've got the emotional strength and support over here to be able to sit in the pain and the hurt that is going to be present. And... um, we have to work with that. We got to comfort that hurt for some period of time before we can even begin to get into the relational dynamics. Because if you just jump into the relational dynamics, it's like, oh, well, you know, you, it's, it's my wife's fault. I did this stuff because she was, you know, so and so. It's like, nope, nope. What you did is on you, right? Yeah. That's on me. I did it. I was wrong. I, I've got to go deal with that. That's my job. That's my work. And then I want to help her heal, and that takes a lot, a lot of time, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, one of the most powerful phrases I've heard in this past year is outside of the SF, out from the SF community that I work with, these the Green Beret guys. <laughs> they'll look at each other and say, the beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and that's exactly how yeah. I feel as a codependent. Like, the beatings are going to continue right. until I figure out I'm going to be okay. I, I may be uncomfortable, but I'm not going to die. Right. My life isn't in danger here. And really, my marriage isn't in danger. But I'm treating it with that sense of urgency because I've just got to control it. Everything's got to be okay by bedtime. Yeah. Let me, yeah. I just have to before we wrap this up. <laughs> 
That whole thing about not letting the sun go down. Oh man, we could do it. We need to do an episode on that. We really that is, do. That is that has caused. Uh, we used to stay up till four a.m. because <laughs> you know, and wa- watching the sun come up. Yeah, because well, we couldn't go to bed angry. Well, now the sun's up, I can still be angry. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so we crazy. lift that off the page, and we're like, you must be emotionally healthy, Gosh. and take that whole journey inside of twenty four hours. You know, even less than that because you didn't wake <laughs> up with the sun, right? Uh, my goodness. So yeah, this I Dude, think this I, is a very I, I, free. Don't you love it when when we take a one verse and we make it? A it's my dogma. favorite. We maybe make some principle or dogma or this is this is what Jesus was saying. My absolute favorite. Oh gosh, it's like the 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 you know if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Okay, well in context, who is Jesus talking to? Mm. Right. He, he he was talking to the hard-headed, hard-hearted, stubborn, I could use a lot of words, but he was talking to the religious types. Yep. And he's using hyperbole to make a point, which I relate to because I do that often when I'm speaking. <laughs> yes. uh, it's provocative, yes. right? And what he's saying is, you're no better. But they were self-righteous and hypocritical. Mm-hmm. But man, the, the, the shame that that teaching produces is I believe it's one of the biggest things in Christendom as far as keeping men bound up in shame around this. No doubt about it. Oh, it's terrible. Would you be okay doing a whole episode on the Bible? We did. We, I would yes. love that. Let's do it. Let's do it, yeah. yeah. For now, we need to wrap the conversation on codependence and just encouraging, I think, the codependent who's out there, hey, it can change. You can get better. The road's going to be a little bit rocky in the beginning, Mm -hmm. but you would encourage the codependent, hey, get to work. It's going to be worth it. Well, absolutely. And the thing of it is, I tell partners this all the time. um, If he's going to go do something, (laughs) he's going to do it. There's you, you, You could lock him in a closet. It wouldn't matter. He's going to find a way. So you can like maybe uh, let that go and trust God because what man covers, God uncovers. And if something is done, God's going to reveal it. He already has, and he'll do it again. So it's just the idea of like he's got to work his recovery. He's got to work on his side of the street, and the partner has to begin to work on their side of the street. But boy, that codependent part of us on both sides uh, keeps us locked in to the crazy dance. To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com. Mm-hmm.